Amen. God bless you guys. It is great to have you here at Calvary Chapel. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. We will be in 1 Samuel 26 on Wednesday night. So let me encourage you, if you haven't been coming on Wednesdays, or if you do come, read the chapter ahead. You'll get more out of it. I do want to, again, encourage you to pray about going to the married couples retreat. We'd love to have you come and join us. There'll be several other Calvary chapels there. Uh, quickly, many people have been asking week by week how my dad is doing. He, uh, if you don't know, if you're new to the church, he's one of the assistant pastors here. He had open heart surgery a little over a month ago, and he's still in the hospital battling a pretty gnarly infection. Uh, kind of been a roller coaster ride, but you know what's great? God is in control. And God is faithful and God is sovereign. And in the midst of all of it, we had a lot of opportunities to witness to the nurses and other people who were there. So God, God knows even when we don't. Amen? Amen. But I would, incur- I would appreciate your continued prayer for him. And Lord willing, if he continues to get better, he may be able to go home soon. He will still have to be on antibiotics for a while. All right. Well, this morning, as I've been reading through this text and praying about it and just spending time with the Lord... We're going to get to the text, but I want to just say that what it keeps reminding me of, because as you read through Hebrews, there seems to be quite a bit of repetition, and there's repetition for a reason. It keeps talking about how great Jesus is. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than the law. He's the great high priest. He's greater than all the other high priests. He's greater than the priest of Aaron. He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek. And as we continue to read through this, sometimes it might seem, well, boy, he just keeps driving this point home. There's a reason for that. Because it needs to be driven home. Amen? Because people were contemplating walking away from Jesus to go back to dead religion. Now it had been God's path at one point, God's way that would lead to the Messiah, the old covenant. But now that the Messiah has come, that old covenant, as we'll see in this morning's text, has passed away. But you know what's interesting is I've been praying about this and meditating on this text all week. One of the things that God's been putting on my heart is that This is a message that not only the first century Jewish Christians needed to hear, but this is a message that the United States of America needs to hear. We need to be reminded that this was a country founded upon Christian principles. We began as a Christian nation. Most of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were Christians, and many of them were pastors. If you go into the rotunda of the United States of America in the Capitol building, Out of the six paintings, you have two Bible studies, a baptism, and a prayer meeting. That's what's in the rotunda of our capital of our country. Our nation began with godly principles, one nation under God, a nation fully submitted to Him, with a government and leaders and people that operated from a a place of godly fear. We were once considered and even referred to as a Christian nation, but sadly, while there remains a remnant of Christianity, our nation has become more and more godless and less and less godly. Prayer, God's Word, even the mention of Christmas have been all but banned from our schools, from our courts, from our government, from the public square. Our Savior's very name is more often used as a curse word than to enter into praise and worship. That's where we live today. And I would venture to guess that as his name is used as a curse word, again, it's so heartbreaking to see and to think this, about the incredible grace that God is showing toward our nation as we continue to mock him. And we need to be reminded that Jesus is better, that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus Christ is God. And no matter who, who's in the White House, God is still on the throne. And he's the one we serve, and he's the one that we passionately follow. And while they may try to silence the schools, they should not be able to silence the Christians. We need to be bold for our Savior. In a time when they're trying to put the light out, we need to be halogen lights for Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so this is an exhortation to those first century Christians not to be swayed away from the truth, not to be swayed away from who Jesus is, but it's an exhortation for every one of us this morning in very much the same way. Christianity is most often portrayed by the media today as being self-righteous, narrow-minded bigots. 
That's what we're considered by many people. But you know what? In those days, the early church were being attacked as being those who were narrow, those who had missed out, who had walked away from the temple, walked away from, in their mind, the true and living God to follow Jesus, a dead Messiah in their perspective, a dead rabbi who never owned anything, who never built anything from their perspective. And yet, the same is true for us today. There's a world trying to draw us back into the things of this world to draw us back to chase after career and money and pleasure and all the things this world has to offer, things that are empty and won't matter one bit in eternity. Lord, help us. In the time when they're trying to quiet us down, Lord, I pray that would just stoke a fire in every one of our hearts. Our country may have rejected the Lord, but we must not. Amen? And we must be salt and light in a remnant, especially in a county that was voted the most liberal city in America. We were voted to have the most liberal uh, college and the most liberal city. Gee, there's a shocker, huh? Amen. But you know what? That just gets me excited. How about you? Because that means God called us to be salt and light in one of the darkest places around. And praise God that we're here, and praise God that you're here, and praise God that we can meet in a gymnasium and teach the Word of God and do it without compromise. Amen? Amen. And Lord, help us to take the fire out of this building and take it home, and take it to school, and take it to the workplace. Can I encourage you, if you've never thought about it, pray about starting a Bible study where you work. Oh, that would be rough. (laughs) God has called all of us to rightly divide the Word of truth. Amen? Amen? Well, I'm not called to be a pastor. I didn't say be a pastor. I just teach the Bible. We're all called to be able to share God's word and to do it without compromise. We've turned from faith in God to faith in ourselves as a country, from hearts of brokenness and desperation to hearts of pride and self-exaltation. This godless and fleshly rebellion is often portrayed as having evolved past the need for the foolish crutch of religion to putting faith in science and in our own intellect. By the way, God created science, Amen. And he's omniscience, science being knowledge, he's all-knowing, he defines science, science doesn't define him, amen? The scientists keep changing their mind, our God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so as we go down that same path yet again this morning in chapter 8, and we talk about Jesus being better, we need to hear it again. And we need to not only hear it, we need to take it out of here when we leave and let the world know that Jesus is better. You know, the atheists in our country reject God's existence based on their superior intellect. Others are not sure if there is a God, but if there is, they believe they'll get to heaven because they're good. Still others believe there is a God, but reject Jesus as being Savior and Lord and the only path to salvation. Any religion will do as long as you're sincere. In the midst of all these, many self-professing Christians are afraid to speak up for the truth as we fear men more than we fear God. You know what? As I've been praying, I just, you know what? I feel like, Lord, I don't, we don't have a promise that we're going to be here next Sunday. And so if the Lord is coming soon, Lord, help us to be busy about your work this week. Amen? Not next month, not next year, not 10 years from now. Not waiting until we get that next project done so then we can start serving God. None of us will get to heaven and be bummed out we serve God too much. Amen? And so I know that was a Pastor Dave diatribe, but forgive me. I just feel like as I've been seeking the Lord, I just... I'll tell you what, my prayer this week has been, Lord, give me boldness to share with people that I'm afraid to share with. Lord, give me compassion to love people and to be burdened for them and to see them through your eyes. Lord, bring revival to our land, start in our homes, our schools, our neighborhoods, our workplace. Lord, help us not to just sit back and watch as people who don't know you are walking in darkness, but help us, Lord, to be like the writer of this letter who recognized there was a temptation to walk away from God, to go another path, and he wrote all these chapters saying the same thing over and over and over the answer is Jesus guys I don't even like to talk about God generically because people can make God mean anything they want that's why we magnify the name of Jesus Christ amen because he's better he's God okay chapter (laughs) 8 Jesus is better amen he's better 
He's better than drugs. He's better than money. He's better than power. He's better than physical pleasure. He's better than dead religion. He's better than anything. He's the best. And I'll tell you what, when you know him, Christians die well. Amen? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The next three chapters, we're going to continue the theme that Jesus is better. In chapter 8, this morning we're going to see that he is a better promise or a better covenant. Next week we'll see that he is a better, comes from a better sanctuary. And lastly, we'll see in chapter 10 that he is a better sacrifice. So comparing him to the high priest they were tempted to go back to, he's better in every way. Guys, being a Christian, you don't give up anything that's good for you. Amen? Well, I'd be a Christian, but I'd have to give up too much. What? You'd have to give up the very things that would harm you. God loves you. He's a perfect heavenly father. He's not trying to keep you from fun. He's trying to keep you from harm. He's a great and an awesome God. We need to magnify his name. Help us, Lord, not to be ashamed of you ever. Let us not be ashamed. So, if you're a note taker this morning, four evidences of a better covenant or a better promise in Jesus. Number one, we're going to see that he is a better high priest. Number two, we're going to see that he is a better sacrifice. Things we'll see in coming chapters. And this is really like almost a, an abbreviation of everything we've looked at so far. Third, he's a better temple. Heavenly reality, not just an earthly foreshadowing of things to come. And lastly, he brings a better promise. Let's begin in verse 1 of chapter 8. A better covenant. Four evidences for a better covenant. First of all, a better high priest. And again, we, I know we looked at this repeatedly, but he keeps saying it, so we need to keep hearing it. Amen? Just in case you start to think some point down the road, well, maybe there is another path. Remember Hebrews. Amen? Harken back to the studies in Hebrews. Verse 1. Now this is the main point. Yeah, I just love, I believe this is the Apostle Paul. We don't know for sure. But the writer to the Hebrews, he's saying, okay, after seven chapters, let me just tell you, this is the main point. As if you haven't gotten it yet. This is the main point. The word main here is head, chief, the principal thing of all that he has said. In this most doctrinally significant and divinely inspired letters, he's saying, listen up, don't miss it. This is the main point, and here it is. The main point of the things we are saying, we have such a high priest. Now he's referring back to verses 22 to 28 of the previous chapter, where he speaks of our high priest, our great high priest, Jesus Christ, being a guarantee of a better covenant, being a high priest who it always has been and always will be, that he ever intercedes for us. He's, he's talking about the great high priest, and then he says, this is the main thing, guys. That's our high priest. The high priest I've been describing to you, that's the one that we serve. He is the one that we follow after. For such a high priest was fitting for us, says in verse 26 of the previous chapter, holy, harmless, sinless, separated, higher than the heavens. These are all qualities that none of the old covenant high priests had. He's saying, guys, the high priest that we have has all the qualities I described to you, and the high priest you're considering going back to has none of them. Guys, the things that tempt us to go away from the Lord have none of the things that God can offer us. Amen? It's the enemy tempting our flesh that wants to draw us away. Four evidences of better covenant. Jesus is a better high priest. He's holy. He's harmless. He's sinless. He's separated. He's both perfect and able to identify with our needs and temptations. So much better than any priest past or present. Why in the world would you go back to something inferior? Isn't it amazing how our flesh and the enemy lies to us and makes us remember our old sinful wicked past in a good light sometimes? That was so much fun. Right? We remember, oh, the party was great. How about when you were puking the next, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. How about when you wrapped your car around the telephone? Oh, yeah, your broken marriage. Oh, yeah, your lost job. Oh, yeah, that wasn't so fun. The point is that so often our flesh has a limited memory, and it draws us back to the one part. You know, sin is pleasurable for a season, but in the end it leads to death. 
And so he's saying here, you know, he's exhorting them and reminding them that Jesus is better. He is the answer. And anything else you're tempted to go back to pales in comparison to him. So he is such a high priest. Now look what it says. Who is seated at the right hand of the throne. Jesus, what is he doing? He's seated at the right hand of the throne. Now the priests that they were contemplating going back to that were in the old covenant, when you look at the furniture in the tabernacle, you know what you don't see? A chair. Right? No chair. You know, you have the golden lampstand, you have the table of showbread, you have the bronze laver, you have the altar of incense, you have the holy of holies. You know why there's no chair? Because the priest's work is never done in the old covenant. In the old covenant, they were making sacrifices day after day after day after day after day. Because each sacrifice was a reminder that their sin was still not covered. It was still pointing to the coming Messiah. You know what? No other high priest ever sat down. Jesus is seated because his work is finished. When he he hung on the cross, his last words to Talestai, it is finished. No more works. He did it all. It's paid. Why would you want to go back to a priest who's still working? Who's still making sacrifices day after day after day when our great high priest has paid the price in full and it's done? Lord, thank you that it's done. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that it's paid in full, that it's finished? He is seated because his work is complete. It says back in verse 27, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered himself up. The other priests, the first sacrifice they had to make every day was for themselves because they were sinners in need of a Savior themselves. So they would have to make a sacrifice for themselves. Jesus is seated because he does not need a sacrifice. Then after they sacrificed for themselves, they sacrificed for everyone else. Jesus paid the price once and for all. Man, praise God. There's no chairs in the tabernacle because the work is done now. It was never done for them, but it's done now for us. And each repeated sacrifice was that constant reminder. The Bible says that the blood of animals cannot wash away our sin. So why did they have all the sacrifices then? It was to remind them of their need for redemption. It did cover their sin and push it toward the coming Messiah, but the sacrifices were continual and ongoing because the price had yet to be paid. Jesus is a better high priest because he is sinless, he's he's harmless, he's separated, and his work is finished. And then it says, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Jesus is not only seated, but where is he seated? He's seated on the throne. And that's another place no other high priest ever sat was on a throne. Even when he left the tabernacle that had no chairs, when he left and went to a place where he would sit down, he never sat on a throne. You know why? Because he's not a king. But Jesus is both high priest and king. Amen? He's our king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of the Father on the throne. That's the God that we serve. Why in the world would we want to go back to anyone less? Why would we want to chase after anything else but the one who is seated on the throne, who paid the price, who's preparing a place for us, who's adopted us into his family, and is coming to take us home soon? Who, why in the world would we want to go anywhere else? Jesus said to Peter, are you going to leave me too? And Peter said, who else has the words of eternal life? Amen? My exhortation to maybe some of you this morning, are you going to leave him too? Maybe you're going through a tough time. Maybe you're, there's doubt in your faith right now. Maybe you're struggling. Maybe you were brought here by a friend. You know what? Jesus Christ is the answer. And he loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. And he brought you here this morning to remind you of that. You know what? Jesus being seated at the right hand of the Father is a fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture. Because it says in Psalm 110 verse 1, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Old Covenant high priest 
not only had no place to sit in the tabernacle, he never sat on a throne because he was of the order of Aaron. And Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. If you were not here, get the, the tapes from the last few weeks and learn a little more about Melchizedek. My personal belief, Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Ultimately, it doesn't matter because he's a picture of Jesus either way. Because Abraham, before Moses ever came along, paid tithes unto him and gave honor unto him. And it's a picture of how we are to respond to our Savior. Verse 2. It says, A minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected, and not man. You know what? Jesus serves in the true tabernacle. The original made by God, of which the earthly tabernacle was only a copy. The heavenly tabernacle is perfect. It's everlasting. The earthly tabernacle is, is, and the temple are temporary, just like the earthly priesthood. Guys, do we have priests anymore on earth? What's the answer? No, we don't. Do we have a temple anymore? Well, we do, but it's not a building. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen? You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Wherever we go, we take the temple, we take the Holy Spirit with us. And so he's saying to these early Christians, these Jews who are contemplating going back to the temple that still would stand for a few more years, being tempted to go back to religion, being tempted to go back to you know, all the, the pomp and circumstance that went along with the sacrificial system that was absolutely of God until Jesus came. But once Jesus came, going back was blasphemous. Because once Jesus died on the cross, we need sacrifices no more. And so as the temptation was to go back, he's letting them know our Savior, our high priest, is seated in the heavenly tabernacle. The original one that will last forever. And the high priest you're contemplating going back to is seated in one that will, is about to be destroyed. The temple would be destroyed in just a few years from the writing of this letter. Compared to the heavenly, perfect, and eternal. It is so foolish to hold on to the imperfect and the temporary, yet we hold so tightly to the imperfect, don't we? Don't we hold so tightly to the imperfect? Don't we hold so tightly even to this life? What's the answer? We do. You know, we say we want to go to heaven, but we don't always act. Now, guys, the Lord is the one who gives and takes life, amen? But you know what? For us as Christians, I've told you before, if if the Lord takes me home tomorrow afternoon, just absolutely celebrate because I will not be thinking about you. <laughs> I'll see you when you get there and I'll come and hug you. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to be focused on Jesus Christ. Amen? And so are you. And guys, nobody wants to come back to this dung heap. Amen? I mean, we're in the presence of Almighty God, but so often we're hanging on with every... You know, guys, we want to be faithful while we're here, but guess what? It's homecoming when we die. We go home, finally. It's graduation day. It doesn't get any better than that. And sadly, we see that we hold on to the imperfect. And this is that temptation facing these first century Jewish Christians. Why would you leave the perfect and eternal to go back to the imperfect and the temporary? Why would you want to live your life for something that is passing away? We need to do our job in a way that honors God. But guys, gals, let me encourage you with something. You're at work first and foremost to be a missionary. You're their number one reason is to be salt and light and to represent our Savior. And God will use that job to provide for your family. Guys, if the people at work don't know you're saved, you need to ask God to forgive you and start living like you are. Amen? That was actually really weak. If we can't say amen in here, we're not going to say it at, at work, amen? amen? All right. So a better covenant, four evidences of a better covenant. First of all, he's a better high priest. He's holy, he's harmless, he's sinless, his work is finished, he's enthroned on high, he's in the heavenly sanctuary. Secondly, he's a better sacrifice. It says in verse 3, For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. He says the high priest, part of, a main part of his calling is to offer sacrifice. And if Jesus is the great high priest, then he too must have a sacrifice 
to offer. Well, not only does he have a sacrifice to offer, he has a better sacrifice to offer. The sacrifice for sin is essential to the concept of the priesthood. And Jesus, representing a better priesthood, offered a better sacrifice. Again, not the blood of bulls and goats that served as only a temporary covering, but Jesus offered a better sacrifice himself. When Jesus arrived on the scene, and John the Baptist saw him at the beginning of his public ministry, when John the Baptist saw him, he said of Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. And you know what? He came and died in our place and no more blood has to be shed. It's not the blood of bulls and goats. He laid down his life to atone for the sin of all mankind and and a work that need never, ever, ever be repeated. It's done. It's finished. He's a better priest. He's a better sacrifice, not a sinful priest with a temporary sacrifice, but a sinless priest with an eternal sacrifice. Why would you want to leave the sinless, perfect, holy priest with a perfect sacrifice for a sinful priest for an imperfect sacrifice? This is the exhortation he's giving to these first century Jewish Christians who are contemplating going back. Lord, help us to never go back in our faith, but only to go forward. Christianity is like a grease pole, either climbing up or sliding down. Amen? There really is no such thing as a stationary walk. We're either drawing closer to Him or going further away from Him. Lord, help us to press in to the kingdom of God. It says this in Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. But Christ came as high priest of good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Praise God. Amen. He obtained eternal redemption. It's done. No more sacrifices need to be made. I'm still confused when I see Christians wanting to go back and observe some of the old covenant. Again, those things have grown obsolete, as we will see at the end of the chapter. We're under a new covenant. We follow a risen and a living Savior, a better high priest, a better sacrifice, and now we'll see a better temple. Look what it says in verse 4. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. When Jesus was on the earth, he was not a priest. He was not of the Levitical tribe. He was not even, from a physical perspective, qualified to be a priest, because there were plenty of Levites to do and serve that purpose. But Jesus came for a greater purpose. Jesus came not to make a temporary sacrifice, but an eternal one. There are plenty of priests who are qualified to serve under the law of Moses, but Jesus was never meant to serve in that temporary role. He was not a foreshadow, but the fulfillment. He was not the, the temporal old covenant high priest, but the prophesied Messiah, prophet, great eternal high priest, Lord, Savior, God, and King. And why in the world would we want to make him anything less than that? You know what the cults do? They make Jesus less and man more. They pick away and chip away at the person of Jesus Christ. And they exalt and magnify who we are. The Mormon church says that Jesus was a man as we are. Or actually Elohim, God the Father, was a man as we are. And he got this planet because he was a good man. And he was choosing between his two spirit sons, Lucifer and Jesus, to, be, to decide who would be the savior of this world. And he chose Jesus, and Jesus and Lucifer are brothers. That is not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. That makes him less, and they believe they will be God of their own planets one day. Now let me just say this. We need to be reaching out to Mormons and sharing with them the hope that lies within us. Amen? We need, they need Jesus. That we, we need to love on them. We need to minister to them. We need to recognize that they do not believe in the same Jesus Christ we do. The Jehovah's Witnesses reject, reject the, the deity of Jesus Christ. There are others who it's Jesus plus something else. Guys, Jesus alone is sufficient. He paid the price in full. Pastor Dave, this is so elementary. Why are you driving this home? Because we need to hear it again. 
Amen? And we can't magnify his name enough, can we? I mean, we could do this all day, every day, and we still could do it some more. Because he's worthy to be worshipped, to be praised, and to be magnified above all things. Then it says, verse 5, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. So these priests, these Levitical priests, these old covenant priests, serve the copy and the shadow of heavenly things. It says then that Moses, as Moses was divinely instructed, when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. So when Moses went up on the mountain, he was not only given the law, but he was shown the pattern for what the tabernacle was to be like. So he came down and he made a copy of what is in heaven on earth. But guys, they're serving in the copy and Jesus is in heaven. He's not in the copy, he's in the real thing. Amen? And he's exhorting them, why follow one who serves within the copy when you can serve the real thing? Again, it was God's plan prior to Jesus coming. The old covenant was his path, was his plan, was his will. But understand something, God always knew there was a better covenant coming. Amen? And that's why everything was always pointing to Jesus. And once Jesus arrived, everything else was done away with. Moses was divinely instructed to follow the pattern. It says in Exodus 25, makes it clear that what was built on earth was according to the pattern which existed in heaven. The pattern he had seen on the mountain. And the heavenly temple served as a pattern for the earthly tabernacle and temple. But praise God that Jesus doesn't serve in the copy, but in the real thing. Guys, first century Jews took great amount of pride in the temple. And for good reason. If you've ever seen, the temple was unbelievable. If you've ever seen a model of of Israel during the time of Jesus, the temple, I mean, it is, I don't know how much bigger, hundreds of times bigger than anything else. It dwarfs everything else. And when the smoke was coming up, and when the incense was being burned, and the sacrifices were being made, it was a pretty majestic thing. And it was God's will up until Jesus came that they went there and made their sacrifice. But once Jesus came, they needed a temple no more. But you understand something. At the time of the writing of this letter, the temple was still there. It was still the dominant place in all of Israel. They would walk by it. They would you know, smell the incense burning, smell the sacrifices going up, see the priests walking around their priestly robes. Those who had rejected Jesus as the Messiah and were still waiting for the Messiah to come. But guys, when Jesus came, that temple was, no, was of use no more. And that's why not long after, it ended up being brought down. You know, the Jews today are still trying to rebuild the temple. They've got the the lampstand already. They've got several of the things together. They're looking for a, a red heifer. It's in the Old Testament. They're looking for all these things to be ready. But I believe that when the temple will finally be built, and it will be, is when the Antichrist takes power and you and I will already be in heaven. But there's a, there's a desire to reinstate the sacrificial system. How sad is it because the sacrifice has already come. And they need to hear again that their Messiah has come and His name is Jesus Christ. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's Almighty God. It's foolish to focus on or even compare the works of men with the works of God. But they look at that temple and they're in awe of the temple. Guys, we're only going to be in awe of something on earth if we take our eyes off of God. Amen? We'll be blown away by earthly accomplishments if we take our eyes off of God. And the same is true for our problems. Our problems are only great if our God is small. But if our God is great, there's nothing we can't face as we walk with Him. It's foolish to compare even the greatest works of men with the works of God. So a better covenant, four evidences of a better covenant. Number one, he's a better high priest. Number two, he's a better sacrifice. Number three, he serves in a better temple, in a heavenly reality, reality, not an earthly foreshadow. And lastly, he operates under a better promise. Jesus is our mediator. He's given us a better covenant and a better promise. Verse six, and it says, but now... He has attained a more excellent ministry 
inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. That's pretty clear, isn't it? It says he is the mediator to a better promise than what you're considering going back to. He's a mediator of a better covenant than what you are considering being engaged in. Guys, whatever in this world is taking your eyes off of Jesus, get your eyes back on him, he's better. He's better than anything else this world has to offer. You know what, I I often think of it this way. Imagine if you won $500 million in the lottery, how excited would you be? Very. Don't lie. Don't don't sit there and try to be all spiritual. Well, no, actually, I would just give it all to the Lord. Liar. But you know what? What we have is way better than $500 million. We have an eternal relationship with the creator of the universe. We have the spirit of the living God living inside of us, you guys. We have a better promise than anything this world could ever offer us. Because the things of this world are temporary and they're empty. Guys, St. Augustine said that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man. And you know what? Money will not satisfy it. Career won't satisfy it. Drugs won't satisfy it. Things of this world won't satisfy it. Only Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit in your life will bring you the satisfaction that you need. No earthly priest could take away the sin. He had a more excellent ministry than all the old covenant high priests. He was a mediator between man. Now, he was a mediator of a better covenant. He was the one between us. He is the one between us and God. It says in back in verse 22 of chapter 7, he has become a surety of a better covenant. It is a covenant by believing and receiving instead of earning and deserving. Amen? The covenant he offers us is not, you know, earn and deserve, it's believe and receive. He offers it out, it's paid for, and all you have to do is take it. That's it. And you know what's so sad that we try to somehow earn God's favor when he's already given it to us for free. Jesus has for us better promises. Promises to see us through the most desperate and dark times here on earth. More importantly, promises of blessings that will outlive this life. The word mediator there is one who stands in the middle between two people and brings them together. In the Old Testament, Moses was the mediator and he was a man used mightily by God. But you know what? Jesus is a better mediator. Amen? Because he has a better covenant, a better promise to bring us to God the Father. Then it says, verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. You're thinking about going back to that old covenant. If that old covenant had been good enough, there never would have been a second covenant. If the slaying of lambs and the keeping of good works and rituals were good enough, if you could do it and be saved through the blood of bulls and goats, then there would never have been another covenant covenant the first covenant was not faultless it was not blameless it was not free of fault or defect with the priesthood the question was raised why a new priesthood after Melchizedek if the Aaronic priesthood was good enough the answer was that the Aaronic priesthood wasn't good enough the law of Moses wasn't good enough the law cannot save you but only show you your need for a savior I know we've talked about this over and over, but I'll tell you something. Every time I study or read these things, it gets me excited about the fact that I'm going to heaven. That I'm born again, that I don't deserve it, but he gives it to me anyway. And it makes me want to praise God for his grace all over again. Amen? You know, I love to hear the gospel. I'll I'll be going to, and I'll see Billy, I'll stop and listen to Billy Graham give the gospel. You know why? Because I love to hear it. Because it's still good news, even though I've already got it. Amen? And it's great to hear it again and again and again. The first covenant had been faultless. There would have been no need for a second. But God established a new one. It means that something was lacking in the old one. Why would you go back to the old one? It was lacking. Turn to the one who is not. Verse 8. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He then takes them to the Old Testament out of Jeremiah 31, and he says to them, oh, by the way, let me quote to you from the Old Testament scriptures, 
in the Old Covenant, in the, old, in the law, telling you that it said 800 years ago that a better covenant was coming. And that better covenant has come, and His name is Jesus Christ. These are great verses for someone who's still walking in the Jewish faith. Many of them will be saved in the last days, by the way. The new covenant was always God's eternal plan. You know what? There's two different words in the old covenant and the new covenant. In the old covenant, it's if you, and in the new covenant, it's I will. God's speaking to the people and say, if you, it says in Exodus 19, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me. If you, if you, if you. In the new covenant, he says, I will, I will, I will. Not if you, I will, just I will. And you know what? Praise God that we're on the receiving end of God saying, I will. He doesn't lie. He's always right. He's always faithful. Amen? So my salvation is not based on an if you, but a, that a God will. And praise God, I don't want to go to a covenant of if you. How about you? I would, I'd crash and burn all over the highway. How about you? If I gave you a list of one if you, you'd, you'd mess it up. Ask Adam and Eve. Amen? Everything, you can have everything. It's all, just don't touch that one tree. Everything good. All the, everything. Yeah, all of it. All yours. What's mine? Everything. Except that one tree. What do they do? Go get the tree. And we want to blame Adam and Eve, but you know what? If it had been Dave, I'd have done it too. That's what we do. Is that true or not? You can have anything in the kitchen. Just don't touch the hot cookies. What are you going to get? We are just so prone to, I want to go my way. But praise God, it's not if you, it's God will. Not if you do this. God has already done it. He knew that we would need His grace. The word new there in the Greek describes something that is not new in time, but new in quality. There's a new, a higher quality covenant that's been made between God and man, no longer relying upon the response of man, but the faithfulness of God. Praise God that we walk not in the old covenant, but in the new covenant through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Then it says in verse 9, well, it says, but the days are coming, says the Lord, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. How long were they out of Egypt before they blew it? Mo- Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, Right? He leaves his assistant pastor, Aaron. He comes back, and they're dancing around a golden calf, drunk, having a drunken orgy. How is this working out, this old covenant thing? When you put it in the hands of people, if you will obey... Oh, they didn't do it. Didn't take, God led them by the hand out of Egypt, and what did they do? They made a God in the image of the very gods they had just left in Egypt. Guys, that's all of us apart from the power of the Holy Spirit to transform our lives. Amen? Well, I would never do that. Yes, you would. And if you don't think you would, you're being prideful. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. Amen? How many of you sinned yesterday? Raise your hand. Hands on up. You know you're lying. And you sinned again. But here's the point. Don't we sin every day? Now, God's desire that we walk in holiness, but praise God for His grace. And you know what? I, I want to encourage you with something. The difference between someone who is spiritually immature and someone who is spiritually mature is how quickly they repent when they sin. It becomes, goes from you know, months to weeks to days to hours to minutes to nanoseconds. Amen? Words not even out of your mouth and you're convicted. And that's a sign of someone who's walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Amen? But as we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But the problem is, we don't always walk in the Spirit. And he said, you know what? They didn't, they didn't stand with me. I'm not going to do it according to that old covenant. I tried that once. I knew they'd blow it already. And you know what? They did. So I brought them a better covenant. A covenant that wasn't reliant upon them, but was reliant upon me. Because I know if I'm in charge, this is God speaking, that I will be faithful because I know they won't. That's why if you're in a works-based religion, you will always be miserable. Is that true or not? 
got to do this, you 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 got to do this. Have you done this? Have you done that? Do you know, and again, you've heard me say it many times. You know, works-based religion is do, 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 do. And Christianity is done. Amen? Jesus Christ paid the price. We're almost done. Verse 11. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. You know what? He's saying earlier in verse 10, he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people. You know, I'm, I'm going to have a new covenant with them. I'm going to be their God. They're going to be my people. They're not going to have to teach each other anything. The new covenant features a greater intimacy with God. The old covenant was so, again, there was an intimacy with God. There was a desire to know God. It was God's plan at the time. But now the new covenant brings greater intimacy with God. We will be his people. We'll have intimate fellowship with him. And it says, they shall all know me. I believe this is a reference to the uh, millennial kingdom. But he's speaking of, the, of these precious people that come into the new covenant. They will all know him. Verse 12. For I will be merciful to their, unrighteous, to their unrighteousness. And their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Oh man, is that good or what? If you underline stuff in your Bible, get your pen out. He will remember our sins no more. You know, God doesn't forget. He chooses not to remember. Amen? It's a conscious choice not to remember. That's the God that we serve. The Bible says in Romans 3, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The old covenant brought a remembrance and a knowledge of sin, but it could not take us the next step and pay for the sin. That's why we needed the new covenant. That's why we need Jesus Christ. The new covenant brought better promises, promises of God's grace, promises of of a transformation from the inside out, promise of forgiveness, a promise of an eternal blessing. And then last verse, it says, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first, what? Obsolete. What does that mean? It's done. It's, it's, it's vanished away. Literally, that word obsolete means vanishing away. The message to this discouraged Jewish Christians who thought about going back to, to more Jewish faith is clear. They simply can't go back to that inferior covenant, which is ready to completely vanish away. And sure enough, the temple would be destroyed not many years from that point. And it would go away. Guys, why do we want to... You know, some people have said to me, well, if you're a Jew and a Christian, you're twice blessed. Guys, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. We're all one in Christ. You're either a Christian or an unbeliever. Now, God still has a plan for the Jewish people, amen? He still has His hand upon them, His eyes are upon them. As a, as a people group, they're in rebellion right now, and we need to be praying for them. The Bible tells us to pray for them, and we should. But praise God for the new covenant that isn't just for the Jews, but is for all of us who will by faith receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. So in closing, four evidences of a better covenant. Number one, a better high priest. He's holy, he's harmless, he's sinless. His work is finished. He's enthroned on high. He has, he's in the heavenly sanctuary. He is a better sacrifice. He serves in a better temple, the heavenly reality, not the earthly foreshadow. He has better promises, the promise of God's grace, the promise of a change from the inside out, the promise of forgiveness, the promise of eternal blessings, the promise of eternal life, guys. Guys, do you know that you have eternal life right now? You don't get it when you die. You just leave this dead tent behind when you die and you don't die you just move to a much better neighborhood amen Amen. we leave behind the temporary tent and we go into glory where there's no more pain there's no more sorrow there's no more death there's no more suffering and guys if we really believe that how much more burden should we be for people who don't know god in closing i was up in san francisco this past week and i had a a guy we we got into quite a discussion about different things and then uh i was walking out to go to lunch and he stopped me, and I actually said, bro, you know, my, I hope I, my heart was not to offend you uh, with my personality. If my personality offended you, forgive me. But if you're offended because of the gospel, you need to be offended. 
And he said, well, I have a question for you. And he asked me the question many of you have heard before. What if I don't believe in Jesus, but I love my wife, and I love my kids, and I love my, you know, and I, I'm, I, I don't cheat on my taxes, I don't steal, I'm kind to people, I don't harm anybody. What happens to me then? And instead of addressing how good he thought he was, I brought him to the fact that there's none righteous, no, not one. And I said, how good, how do we define a good man? And within five minutes, he was confessing, yes, he is a sinner. Now, he hasn't given his life to the Lord yet. His name's Steve. Pray for him. I'm going to be with him all this next week, so I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) Pray also for Jack, Steve. I'll give you all their names, but just pray for everybody in my training class. Because you know what? It's just a captive audience. Where are they going? I got eight hours a day with them. It's great. But what's, but what's been a blessing is there's been such an openness to the gospel. And there's people that are, I mean, a couple of people in our class that are Christians, I'm seeing them become more bold. It's just been a blessing. It's totally a God thing. Guys, you know what? Maybe we go to work every day looking for a divine appointment. Maybe we go out to the mailbox every day looking for a divine appointment. Maybe we go to Safeway looking for a divine appointment. Guys, may we live life with an eternal perspective and not miss out on the divine appointments that are walking by us every single day. Amen? Santa Cruz is the most liberal town in America. It can be the most godly place on the planet. Amen? And let's pray for revival here and let it start in our hearts first. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you and worship your name. And we thank you, Lord, that indeed it is done. It is finished. We thank you, Lord, that we're not dragging bulls and goats in here on Sunday. We thank you, Lord, the price has been paid, that our sins have been forgiven that our names have been added to the Lamb's book of life, that we've been adopted into your family, that we're going to heaven. Lord, I pray that you would light a fire in our hearts, that we would not be ashamed of you. We'd have a greater passion for you. Lord, that we would speak with love, but with great boldness to those who don't know you. Lord, we do lift up Santa Cruz, Santa Cruz, Holy Cross. And Lord, we pray and ask in Jesus' name, you would bring revival here. But Lord, start in our hearts first. May the revival start in our neighborhood, in our home, in our workplace. Lord, may we simply be tools in the hands of our master. Lord, we know we can't do anything without you. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Father, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, Lord, open their eyes to the truth of who you are. May they take this moment even now to confess and ask you to be their Lord and their Savior. Come simply saying, I'm a sinner. Lord, forgive me. Lord, Become my Savior. Forgive me for my sin. Fill me with your Spirit. Help me to walk with you. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here at all, they would make that confession even now. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We can't wait to see you face to face. We have so little time to serve you. While we're here, may we be busy about your work. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.